right, so uh, I have to just go ahead and tell you I'm pretty fired up about uh, the study we're launching into today in the book of Revelation, okay? And so the minute I say that, I know I got two groups of people in the house. There's some of you that are like, yes, all right. Man, what took you so long? We've been waiting for this, baby. You're already pulling out your trifold end times diagrams, all right? You're brushing those babies off. You've been like, woo, we're going to get into this. And you are fired up. And then there are others of you, they're like, oh, revelation, really? I mean, it's so hard to understand and I don't understand it. So, you know, symbols and illustrations and whatnot, I just can't make any sense of it. Can't you find something more relevant uh, to study than the book of Revelation, right? And so here's what I want you to know. Uh, there is nothing, all right, hear me now, nothing more relevant to your life right now than what we're going to study in the book of Revelation, right? Nothing more relevant. And here's why. Because we are living in very uncertain times. Would you agree with that? Very uncertain. Put your finger in the air and you can tell the winds are blowing of change. And so wouldn't you like to know where this is all headed? And wouldn't you like to know uh, how to find hope in difficult times? And wouldn't you like to, uh, wouldn't you like to see what Jesus is really like? And wouldn't you like to peer into heaven and see what is heaven like right now? While we're on the earth, what is heaven like? And, and, and wouldn't you like your prayer life reinvigorated? And wouldn't you like to see how God is orchestrating all things together to his determined end? You see, all of that and more is found in the book of Revelation. So that's why we're going to study it. So we're starting today. All right, Revelation starts now. Get your Bible out and uh, open up with me to the last book of the Bible, uh, the book of Revelation chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one at your seat. We want every person with an open Bible, open heart, uh, pencil and paper out, uh, ready to write down uh, what God speaks to you, okay? Revelation uh, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. This is the Word of God. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to a servant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it. Because the time is near. Now just stop right there for just a minute. I want to start off by giving you four things you need to know about this book. All right? Four things that you need to know about the book of Revelation. Just coming right out of those first few verses. All right, here's the first thing. Write this down. First thing you need to know is the book of Revelation is about the future. It's about the future. In fact, the word revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, which means, or it sounds very similar to a word that you know, apocalypse, right, comes from that word, which means to reveal or to disclose something that has been hidden. Think about going to a car show and, and they pull the, pull the drape off the new futuristic model of what is to come. 
Or think about you go to an art show and the artist pulls off a drape to reveal a sculpture or a painting that's beautiful. In the same way, uh, God is revealing something to us in the book of Revelation. By the way, it's the book of Revelation, single, not Revelations, all right? So just make a note of that, all right? It's one Revelation, the book of Revelation. So what is God revealing exactly? We'll look at verse 1. What must soon take place? He's revealing what must soon take place. You may say, well, preacher, see, there's my first problem, right? Because this big book has been written a long time ago, right? It's been, you know, it's a couple of thousand years, and, uh, and, and he's saying this is soon going to take place, and none of it's happened particularly yet, and so I don't know how you can say this is happening soon. That's a good question. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> uh, well, the word soon here uh, can be translated, some translated versions translate it quickly, some translate it, I think King James Version says shortly. Uh, what, it, what it means is that once it starts, it unfolds rapidly. Right? Once it begins, it moves rapidly. Think about a birth, all right? There's a lot of birth pains, a lot of contractions, but once the birthing starts, it's going to happen quickly. All right? And that's the idea here, that things are going to happen soon. They're going to unravel soon. They're going to move into place very, very soon. Now, keep in mind, we're dealing with a genre of literature called prophecy. In fact, if you look at verse 3, the word prophecy is mentioned twice. See that? This is prophecy. Prophecy, biblical prophecy, is really a foretelling of what is to come, a foreshadowing of the future. The Bible is the only book that dares to predict the future in specific terms that you can tell that it actually came true. It's not like the, the farmer's almanac or the or horoscope that talks about kind of generalities. No, this is specific prophecies that will or will not come true. The Bible lays them out for us. In fact, uh, theologian Dr. J. Parton, Barton Payne is an Old Testament professor from the Covenant Seminary. And uh, he, he estimates through his research that one-fourth of the Bible is prophecy. Think about that. One every four verses is prophetic verses. Now, that's a lot of the Bible. It's prophecy, right? But here, here this will blow your mind. Of all those prophecies, one half of them have already been fulfilled. They've already been fulfilled in history. So the Bible's got a pretty good track record when it comes to predicting something to come to pass and seeing it actually happen. And so what we're dealing with here is prophecy. Many times when uh, a writer of prophecy is, is receiving this from the Lord, he, he's not really clear how this is all going to happen or when it's all going to happen. Many times it's like he, he's standing on the peak of a mountain ridge and there are multiple mountain ranges and you can't see that there's a distance between one peak to the other to the other. And so many times he's not really sure how the timing of all this will happen. But from God's perspective, all of this is happening quickly. All of this is happening soon, right? And by the way, let me just say this. It's happening sooner than you think. Right? You're, one day you're going to go, wow, that happened fast. Yeah, uh, it's happening quickly and it's going to happen soon. And so this is, uh, this is prophetic book. It is all about the future. You know, many people struggle when they study the book of Revelation because of all the figurative language, the symbols, the signs. And they're like, you know, that's just so confusing. I don't really understand it all. 
In fact, I had a good friend of mine that I got to lead to the Lord years ago and he was reading through the New Testament. He got to the book of Revelation and he called me. I said, well, how was it? And he said, well, it was kind of like uh, Stephen King on crack is how he described it. <laughs> so I hope that reading through the book of Revelation isn't like that for you, but I can understand how it's a little overwhelming, you know, all these things. But what you need to understand is, okay, picture if you were John in 90 AD and you're trying to describe things that are very common for us in our day and time. How would you describe things like uh, air travel and cell phones and nuclear war? And, and drones, how would you describe that? How would you put those into words? And God has allowed this imagery and symbolism uh, to be able to translate time and peoples and cultures and to pass on its important message. Uh, oftentimes what you'll find is that much of that imagery that's so uh, difficult to understand is really finds its root in the Old Testament and the Old Testament can be a key to unlocking many of these mysteries in the book of Revelation, which you're even gonna see some of that uh, this morning. So point number one, Revelation is about the future. Number two, Revelation is written by the Apostle John. It's written by the Apostle John. Look at verse one. He made known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Now, who is, who is this John? The Apostle John was one of the 12 apostles, a follower of Jesus. He was in the inner circle of Jesus' ministry. Uh, you could say that he was one of the closest to Jesus. Uh, John was uh, the, one of the first to follow Jesus uh, he was the only one to be at the cross when Jesus was crucified. John was the first one to step into the empty tomb. And so John is very close to the Lord. And so God is revealing uh, this message to the apostle John. Now John is an old man and all the other apostles have been martyred for their faith. And John, well, where is he? Well, verse nine, if you look down in verse nine, you see where he is. He is in, he is exiled on an island called Patmos. Uh, Patmos still exists today. In fact, you can go there. I saw a brochure this week that you can get a luxury accommodations on the island of Patmos. It's one of the Greek islands. Uh, but I can assure you when John was there, he was not staying in a condo, all right? He wasn't in an Airbnb. He was uh, exiled uh, why was he exiled there? Verse 9 tells us because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So here he is, an exiled, persecuted for his faith, an old man now, and he's writing a letter to seven churches. This book of Revelation is really a letter that is given to these seven churches, actual historical churches, and we'll see what Jesus has to say to those churches next week, but they're mentioned by name in verse 11. So it is about the future. It is written by John. Here's the third thing we know about the book of Revelation. It comes with a blessing. This book comes with a blessing. Look at verse three. He said, blessed are those who read it, who hear it, and who keep it. All right. The word blessing there means happy. All right. Now, you might not equate revelation and happiness, right? You may say, well, how is that going together there, you know? We kind of think of revelation as gloom and doom, right? How is this happy? What makes us happy when we read the book of Revelation? We'll look at verse 3. Because the time is near. Because the time is near. Hey, the return of Jesus is near. All right, that's a great place for an amen, so I'm gonna back up and try that one more time, all right? All right, this audience participation part of the talk, all right, right? Here we go, take a minute. 
Because the time of Christ's return is near. There you are. There you are. Feel free to say amen anytime during the rest of the message, all right? Uh, He's coming. He's coming is sooner uh, than you think. Uh, Consider all these things that are happening now. Wars, natural disasters, a global pandemic, hostility against Christians, a rise in technology, the rebirth of the nation of Israel in 1948, even the attempt to uh, develop the sacrificial system once again on the Temple Mount that's happening uh, right now. All these are preparations for the coming of Jesus Christ. Hey, he's coming. And the reason why we need to read this book is so that we can be encouraged about his coming and we can anticipate his coming and we can be watchful and prayerful and anticipate the coming of our Savior, all right? So it comes with a blessing. When we read this, as Christians, we're happy, all right? Because we know how it ends and we know he's coming soon. And so it gives us great joy and great confidence. All right, fourth thing we know about the book of Revelation Revelation is all about Jesus. Say that with me. It's all about Jesus. Look at the first words, the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting. That first line really has a double meaning. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ in the sense that Jesus is the source of the revelation. He's the one giving it, but he is also the subject of the revelation. It's all about him. And who better to tell us about Jesus than Jesus, right? And so it is, he is the source. It is a revelation of Jesus. The whole book is all about Jesus. You know, I was watching a YouTube video this week about a bride and groom, and they're all dressed out on their wedding day. They're standing next to a, a beautiful field, and, uh, and the bride gives the groom a pair of glasses. Now, they're not just normal glasses. They're these uh, colorblind glasses. You know what I'm talking about? And so he's kind of reluctant to put them on, and then he puts them on, and then you should see the look on his face. I mean, where he's like in shock, because now he sees everything in color. He's like, oh my gosh, that's what red is like, and that's what blue is like, and that's what green is like, and it's like what, up to this point, everything was gray and dim, and now he sees it all in vivid color. Hey, listen, Uh, When you look through the lens of the book of Revelation, you begin to see Jesus for who he is. You will never understand his majesty, his glory, and his power until you see him through the lens of the book of Revelation, all right? And so it's all about Jesus. What do we know about Jesus? Who is he? Look at verse 5. Right off the gate, he tells us, Jesus Christ, a faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, and the rulers of the kings of the earth. Underline the words faithful witness. It's hard to find a faithful witness today. Would you agree? It's hard to find someone who tells the truth, that there's no spin, no fake news, right? He's telling the truth. Here is Jesus. He is a faithful witness. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That Jesus tells us the truth about who we are, the truth about who the Father is, the truth about how to be reconciled to God. He is a faithful witness all the way through the book of Revelation. He is witnessing to us the things that will come. He's a faithful witness. Look at it again. He is also the firstborn from the dead. 
That term firstborn doesn't mean birth order. Firstborn means primacy in rank and authority. That he is the highest in rank and authority. But here he's a firstborn from the dead. Meaning that as Christ has been raised, that those who believe in Jesus will also be raised. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 says he is the first fruits of those who will be raised uh, to life again. Now you say, well, man, haven't there been other people raised from the dead before Jesus? Yes, but guess what? Everyone that was raised before Jesus died again. Bummer, right? I mean, you're like raised and then, oh, going down again, okay? Uh, But when Christ was raised, he was raised eternally. And uh, all those who believe in Jesus when Christ returns will be raised eternally with him. The first fruits of those that will be raised to life. And then look at it. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Somebody say amen to that. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's in charge. You know, this is probably very important to say in John's time, Emperor Domitian was the Roman emperor at the time. He preferred to be called in Latin Dominus et Deus, which means Lord and God. But here he is saying Domitian is not Lord and God. In fact, he's a small little thing compared to the ruler of the king's of the earth. Only Jesus Christ bears the title the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's who he is. That's who we're worshiping uh, today. And what has he done? Well, look at verse 5. To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom and priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What has Jesus done? Well, he loves us. In fact, it's better translated, he keeps on loving us. Isn't that good news? He keeps on loving us. And he proved that love by dying on the cross and shedding his own blood for us. He is the only one that has risen from the grave. He is the only one that deserves, look at what he says, glory and dominion forever. We're going to see the worship of Jesus in chapter 4 and chapter 5 in heaven. Even now he is enthroned. Even now he's being worshipped. He has made us a kingdom and priest. And what will he do? We'll look at verse 7. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I love that. That's like exclamation, 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 big font, underline, highlight. All right? I mean, he's just, he's just pointing it out. So it will be. Amen. Jesus is coming in the clouds. Listen, it's not like he's coming in the clouds, like you're not going to be able to see him. He's coming on the clouds. He's coming with the clouds. That means he's coming in the sky. And just as the angel said, just as he was ascended up into heaven, he will come again in like manner. He will come in the clouds. And listen, you're not going to have to wonder if you're going to miss this, all right? Because it says every eye will see him. Every eye, you're not going to go, man, I didn't see that on TikTok. Did you see the deal that Jesus came? You know, you don't have to wonder, am I, I going to miss this coming of Jesus? Forget it. You're going to see him. Every eye will see him. Let me just say this. There is no, no place in the scripture that talks about an invisible return of Jesus. Like only a few people see him, but other people don't really see him. This idea of an invisible, quiet return of Christ does not exist in the Bible. Every time you see Christ coming, it is with a shout and with 
a trumpet and a visible, physical return of Jesus Christ and every eye will see him. Somebody say amen to that. He's coming again. He's coming in the clouds. Who is he again? Look at verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. He's like, can I make it any clearer than that, right? He is the A and the Z. He is the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the God Almighty. This is one of the clearest statements of the deity of Christ in the Bible. Listen, this book is all about Jesus. Don't be afraid of the book of Revelation, right? You're going to see him in vivid color. It's all about Jesus. Every page is about him. Every line points to him. Every prophecy is fulfilled regarding him. It's all about Jesus. Listen, we, we need a fresh view of Jesus. Would you agree? We need a fresh view of Jesus. You know, so many times in the church, people are like yawning uh, through worship, you know, when we're talking about Jesus. We've become so common with Jesus. We, we've made him Jesus, our pal up in heaven, that we have forgotten who he is. And, and in the last days, the church needs an awakening to the, to the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ, who is coming again. And that's what we're going to get in this book. We're going to uh, have an awakening to fix our eyes on Jesus. So if the book is all about Jesus, then it's, it's um, well, it's, uh, it's good that the first vision is about Jesus, right? And the very first vision that John sees is a vision of Jesus. And I want you to see this starting in verse 10. John is going to hear something, verse 10. He is going to see something, verse 12. And he's going to do something, verse 17, all right? In fact, you might want to uh, circle those words. He's going to hear something in verse 10. He's going to see something in verse 12. And he's going to do something in verse 17. So let's look at what he hears. Look at verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And then he lists them off. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So the first thing he does is hear something. What does he hear? He hears a voice. What's that voice like? It's like a what? It's like a trumpet, right? It's like a trumpet. Hey, have you ever, ever sat next to the band at a football game? Right? Or maybe at a basketball game. You don't want to sit next to the trumpets, right? Because they're like so loud, right? I mean, band parents, God bless you. You know, you're like half deaf, you know, because you got to sit next to the trumpets, right? Uh, but, but that's what his voice is like. It's loud. Now, why, why is Jesus' voice like a trumpet? Why, why does it say that here? Why isn't it the still, small voice? Why is it loud like a trumpet? Because here again, we got to go back to the Old Testament, get a key out of that to unlock this. Right out next to that verse, Exodus 20, verse 8. Exodus 20, verse 8. When God was calling the Israelites out of Egypt, he wanted to reveal his power and glory to them. And so he called them to gather around a mountain called Sinai. And there he is going to reveal himself for the first time. And when they gathered around, guess what happened? <laughs> there was thunder and there was lightning this is God flexing his muscles, right? And, and there was trembling, and there was his voice, and guess what his voice was like? 
<laughs> you got it. Like a trumpet. It was loud. In fact, they're like, oh, man, God, don't talk to us. Moses, you talk to us. God's voice is so loud. He's declaring his power and his glory. When Jesus' voice is like a trumpet, it reminds us that we're not dealing with just an ordinary person. We're dealing with God himself. He's speaking and has something to say to us. And what does he tell John? He said, John, I want you to write these things down and give them to these churches. We're going to find out that message next week. That was a little commercial for next week, all right? All right, so we heard something. Then he saw something. Look at verse 12. And I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe and with a golden sash wrapped around his chest and his hair on his head was white like wool, white as snow. And his eyes were a fiery flame and his feet were like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. And he had seven stars in his right hand. A double-edged sword uh, came from his mouth and his face was shining like the sun in full strength. Wow. It's a picture of Jesus. I don't know how you picture Jesus, right? When you think of a picture of Jesus, I don't know how you picture him. You know, when you go back to Renaissance period, they would always uh, portray Jesus as white skin, blonde hair, blue eyed. Uh, probably not what Jesus looked like coming from uh, a Jewish uh, heritage and uh, from the Galilee, right? Uh, but here, this is one of the few descriptions, physical descriptions of Jesus in the Bible. But this is not Jesus in his, uh, in his humiliation, in his incarnation. This is Jesus in his glorification, right? This is a glorified Christ. And look at, look at, how, look at how he's described. I mean, his, he, he's got this golden sash around his chest, which is a picture of the high priest, the highest uh, elevated uh, authority all right, his hair is white, uh, depicting his holiness, his eyes on fire, depicting his omniscience, that he sees all and knows all and understands all, that his uh, feet are like bronze, uh, signifying judgment and purity, his face is radiant like the sun, uh, depicting his glory and, of course, a sword coming out of his mouth. That's a weird-looking thing, isn't it? But, man, that, that shows the power of his word. The power of his word. Listen, this is not warm and cuddly Jesus. Amen? This is not your homeboy Jesus. This is Jesus in charge. This is Jesus on his throne. This is Jesus who we worship. This is Jesus right now in heaven, what he looks like. This is glorified Christ. And he stands among his seven uh, golden lampstands. You might picture a Jewish menorah. It's that candelabra-looking thing with seven, stand, seven lamps on it. Maybe that's uh, what he pictured there. And here is Jesus walking among these seven lampstands. These lampstands represent seven different actual churches. And here is Jesus among them, attending to them. And he holds, holds in his hand seven stars, which are the messengers of the church. Some translate that angels of the church. I think better translated messengers or pastors of the church. He holds in his hands. 
I was talking with the pastor this week and we were just kind of walking through some things he's going through at his church. And I said, hey, let me just remind you that you are in the hands of Jesus Christ. Yeah, it may be tough what you're going through right now, but you are safe in the hands of the Lord Jesus. What a comfort, right? And so here is Jesus walking among his church. A great thing that this reminds us is this, that Jesus knows his churches. He knows this church. He knows every win and every loss. He knows every motive and, and, and every action. Uh, he knows every word and every deed. He knows what's good that's going on and he knows what's bad that's going on. He sees it all. He knows it all. And it's a great reminder to me that this church here is not your church and it's not my church. It's his church. He is the head of the church. He is the cornerstone and the foundation of the church. And here is Jesus uh, standing among his people. So John, he heard the voice, he saw Christ, and then look, he does something in verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Yeah, he did, okay? <laughs> and he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades here is John. John sees this glorified Christ and he just face plants, you know? I mean, he just goes down. And by the way, if we were to see Jesus like this today right now, if, if this uh, ceiling could be opened up and we could see Christ, every one of us would be on our face before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. John was on the ground in worship. And I love this. This is just the tenderness of Jesus, right? He goes there and he puts his hand on John. Hey, John, it's me. Hey, John, I'm the living one. I was dead, remember? And I'm alive. In fact, I hold in my hand the keys of life and death, the heaven and the grave. John, I'm the ultimate authority. John, write these things down. And then he tells them this, verse 19, key verse, underline it, star it in your Bible. Therefore, write what you have seen, what is, and what will take place after this. This is really the outline of the book of Revelation. Three things. What you have seen, that is chapter one, the risen Christ. What is, that's chapter two and three, that's next Sunday, uh, uh, letters to the churches that are happening in the time of the writing. And then what will take place as chapter four me on uh, of the future. Listen, you may be asking the question, okay, Craig, that's a lot to take in, all right? But again, what does all this have to do with me and what I'm dealing with? So let me just bring this down. John was living in very uncertain times. He was living under an oppressive Roman Empire with bloodthirsty emperors that were crushing Christians. Many of them were being murdered for sport in the Roman Colosseum. Many of them were impaled and lit on fire at the emperor's pleasure. They were on the run, they were suffering, and it's almost like the world was going crazy and like evil was just rampant and there was no one who could stop the pervasive evil in the world. And it's almost like these new Christians, they 
is God around and is, is there any way that God will work all these horrible things to his purpose? And, and in this revelation, Jesus is giving John a gift and that is the gift of hope. Now listen, you may be looking at your newsfeed and seeing evil running rampant. We see crime, we see wars, we see morality just falling apart. We see at every turn uh, evil around us. God, why is it that the world seems so out of control? God, are you in control? God, how are you working this out? And listen, Jesus wants to give you that very same gift he gave John, and that is a gift of hope. Listen, it's my prayer for you it's my prayer for you that just as John heard something and saw something and did something that through the book of Revelation, our study, you're going to, to hear something and that is God's promises that he is with you, that he is for you, that he stands there among his church. He knows everything that you're going through and that he is sovereign in control of all things. It's my prayer that you will see something that through the lens of the book of Revelation, you will see Jesus in vivid color, in brilliant color as the King of kings and Lord of lords who is coming soon. And that that reality will cause you to do something and that you will worship him like you've never worshiped him before. That you will live on fire for Jesus Christ. You'll be bold in your witness for him. That you will live out your purpose on this earth until he comes again. All right? So welcome to the book of Revelation, all right? It's all about Jesus. Why don't you bow your head with me for just a minute? Listen, you may be here today and you realize that this Jesus that you just heard about is a Jesus you're going to stand before one day. You know, when Jesus came the first time, he came in, in humility. He was born in poverty, born in a manger. He lived among us. He revealed the truth of the Father. He revealed our own sinfulness and our own waywardness and our need for a sacrifice and for forgiveness. And then he went to a cross and he was humiliated on the cross and he died on the cross for your sin, for the things you have done wrong. Because there's no other way for you to be reconciled to God except through the sacrifice of his son. And then he rose again on the third day, showing himself alive over 40 days to hundreds of people and ascending to the right hand of the Father. Listen, the first time he came in humiliation, the second time he comes will be in his glory. Listen, are you ready to meet him? If you were to die today, would you be right? Before Jesus, the only way that you can know that for sure is to place your trust and faith in him alone. He tarries, he waits because he's gracious, wanting all to be saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so maybe you're here and you've been stiff-arming Jesus. You've been going, man, someday, one day, later on, I'll deal with that later. No, no, there's not enough time for that now. Now is the day, today is the day for you to say yes to Jesus. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Maybe you, you've realized your own sinfulness. You need Christ to forgive you and to wash you clean. But I want to give you an opportunity to pray a simple prayer of faith, trusting Jesus as your Savior and your Lord today. 
So I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if today that's you, say, Pastor, God's dealing with my heart. I need to settle this right now once and for all. But I'm just going to ask you with everybody's head bowed, just lift up your hand. And just lift up your hand and says, I just need Christ. It's just a way for you to indicate your need for the Lord. And I will see it. I'm not going to call you out, but I'll see it. And I'll lead you in a prayer right where you are to receive Christ. All right, just lift up your hand. Pastor, pray for me. I need the Lord Jesus. Pastor, pray for me. God's moving in my heart now. I know for sure that I need Christ. And I want to give my life to him today. Just lift it up right now. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right, anybody else? Pastor, today is the day God's dealing with my heart. Anybody else? All right. Okay. All right, you can put your hand down now. Just right where you're seated, just pray the simple prayer with me. Dear Lord, I know I've sinned against you. I know I've gone my own way. But I believe that Jesus died on a cross for me. And he rose again from the dead. And so I'm asking you now, please forgive me of my sin. Please wipe my sin away, Lord Jesus. I turn from living my own life and I choose to follow you with all that I have. Thank you for your love and for forgiving me. Father, I thank you now for all those in this room. Lord, help us to live with this anticipation of your return. Lord, forgive us when we have treated your coming as if it will happen some way in the future and we don't live with an expectancy and urgency today. Lord, help us to see Jesus in vivid color as we study this book and to live with urgency this week as we go back to work and to school to be ready to share our faith to be eager for your coming, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,